If you join me this morning in Psalm 67, we begin this morning with a sermon entitled, The Global Cause, Christ to All the World. This is the theme of our missions conference this week. And so we begin our missions conference this morning, and this is really um, going to bring our series that we've been working through to a conclusion. This morning, I want to lay our foundation, how the global task of missions relates to us as believers in Christ, as the church uh, local here in Rinkin, Georgia. Our key words for our worshipers in training are mission, global, and nation. So if you children are following along, those are the words to listen for. As we go along this week, we will be meeting this evening for worship. We'll have a meal at 5 and more on that a little bit later. You'll hear tonight from Pastor Eric Friel from Redeemer Baptist Church in Macon. It's a joy to have him with us. He will help us to, uh, to think through um, how our hearts are cultivated for the nations. How do we grow our hearts for the nations as we pursue this global task um, to bring Christ to all the world. Uh, tomorrow evening at 7 p.m., Patrick Joyner, a chaplain in the Navy, uh, our chaplain, our brother in Christ, a member of Ephesus Church, he will be sharing a missions update with us as to what he's doing in the military and his, uh, his work uh, there at Paris Island. On Tuesday evening, I will share a, uh, a biography of missionary uh, David Brainerd, who is a missionary to the Native Americans. And then on Wednesday evening, we will watch a video. We'll see what uh, one missions organization has going on for, uh, in, in their work in frontier missions. Uh, so uh, many opportunities this week to gather and to worship, and I encourage you to bring friends and neighbors, coworkers, whoever you can, to come and hear what God is doing throughout the world. And uh, we rejoice in our opportunity to meet so much this week. This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 67 and I want uh, up front to strike a chord of, of seriousness at what we are approaching. I want everyone to take me seriously here when I tell you that I am praying that God would raise up in our midst and send out from our midst young men and women to give their lives for the global cause of Christ to the nations. And I'm praying for middle-aged Christians in our midst to, to send and to pray and to use their resources and their gifts to see that the global mission, the global task is accomplished and for them to do short-term missions work and to use their skills and their gifts and their resources for the sake of the nations. And I'm praying for older, retired people who are in great health with fat retirement accounts, to spend those years making much of Christ in doing and going and proclaiming and giving their self and giving their resources and perhaps even dying to make Christ known and displaying Him as infinite and holy and righteous and glorious and as the only way to eternal life with God. I am praying specifically that this will happen in our midst. So know that, as your heart is transformed, that this is what I am praying for. And I hope you are too, especially after this week, for yourself and for others. And this is infinitely important to God, as we will see. So I expect that something significant will come, perhaps, from the prayers of His people this week, we hope. Also, I want to remind us that our mission statement as a church says that we are committed to send and be sent for the spread of the gospel through Jesus Christ. And that's not just in our mission statement to make us sound evangelical. This is, and I want to show you this morning, foundational to who the church is. Who the Bride of Christ is, what she is called to be, what she is called to do, for the hallowing, for the glorifying of God's name to all the people groups of the world. And as a local church, I want to challenge all of us and 
to know specifically that we have not given enough time and effort and resources to the global cause. I'm convinced that we as a local church have a lot of, um, a lot of work to do in this area. And I hope to uh, turn that corner this week as we begin to think more in that area. So let's read Psalm 67 together as we begin. Psalm 67, beginning in verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us, that Your way may be known on earth, Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for You judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. So the main focus of this passage is God blessing His people that the nations would in turn be blessed by them. We see the psalmist here who is, I believe, David. In fact, Spurgeon, in all of his eloquence, said it would be a bold man who should attempt to prove that David did not write it. So we'll hold to that. David wrote this psalm. I believe Spurgeon. I think he's correct. But David knows from all of Scripture that God wills to be known, God wills to be praised and enjoyed and glorified as He truly is. Also understands, and we see all throughout the Scripture, that God is a God of means. So we have that in verse 2, verses 1 and 2. Let's look at those again. May God bless, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. Next word in verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So I want to point us to the reality from this that all our missions efforts, everything we do in missions is firmly rooted in the fulfillment of God's covenant promise in the Abrahamic covenant. God's covenant promise in the Abrahamic covenant. We looked at this a few weeks ago in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Here it is. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Families of the earth. Nations. People groups. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. This is how Paul outlines this in Galatians. All the families of the earth will be blessed through this nation that God is bringing about through Abraham. In Genesis 18.18, it says, The nations of the earth shall be blessed in Abraham. (coughs) So Paul reminded the Galatians of this Abrahamic covenant as well. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6-8. through We see Paul writing, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness... Know then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. This is the word uh, in the Greek, is the, the statement of panta ta ethne. All the nations. All the ethnicities. So Paul is quoting the Abrahamic covenant 
And he's referring in the Abrahamic covenant to the statement of all the families of the earth will be blessed. But he's writing in this passage, he's saying all the nations. And we'll look at what he means by nations in a little bit. But he's making this relationship known. All the families of the earth, all the nations, same thing. We'll talk about what we mean by that. But what can we conclude from the wording of Genesis 12.3 and its various uses in the New Testament? We can conclude that God's purpose for the world is that the blessing of Abraham, salvation obtained through Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, (coughs) would reach to all the ethnic people groups of the world. And this will happen as people in each ethno-linguistic people group put their faith in Christ and become sons of Abraham and heirs of the promise. So this event of individual salvation as persons trust in Christ will happen amongst all the nations. (coughs) So from this, I want to argue that we, the church... The sons of Abraham, the true Israel, are God's means by which He is pleased to make all the nations glad in Jesus Christ. So David begins this psalm by seeking the blessing of God, the grace and mercy of God for His people, so that, for the purpose of all of the earth, all of the nations, knowing the saving power of God, And because we know what that is, we could say the saving power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking of this, these first two verses, Charles Spurgeon wrote, As showers which first fall upon the hills afterwards run down into streams into the valleys, so the blessing of the Most High comes upon the world through the church. We are blessed for the sake of others as well as ourselves. God deals in a way of mercy with His saints, and then they make that way known far and wide, and the Lord's name is made famous in the earth. Ignorance of God is the great enemy of mankind, and the testimonies of the saints, experimental and grateful, overcome this deadly foe. God has a set way and method of dealing out mercy to men, and it is the duty and privilege of a revived church to make the way to be everywhere known. And so as I've been arguing for the past few weeks, salvation is from God's wrath to receive the righteousness of Christ and therefore we are saved to a mission. As ministers of reconciliation, as Paul states it in 2 Corinthians 5, Namely, to see the nations, to see all the peoples of the world glad in Christ. That is what we are saved to do, to work out. As we glorify God, to work out this mission, this calling. So I hope we are seeing this. Why do we do missions? What is God's purpose in this? Of course, as with all other things, the primary motivation for missions, and the purpose of missions is to bring glory to God, to glorify God, His purpose in all things. <coughs> On this, John Stott has written, The highest of missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, important as it is, nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, strong as that incentive is, especially when we contemplate the wrath of God, but rather zeal burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. Only one imperialism is Christian, and that is the concern for His imperial majesty, Jesus Christ, and for the glory of His empire. This is why the Apostle Paul sums up his calling as a missionary in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5 as this, I am called to bring about the obedience of faith, for the sake of His name among all the nations. And so Paul saw this as his calling. And we see that throughout Psalm 67. So what is God's purpose in the missionary task? I'm going to show you four things here very quickly. 
God's purpose is to be known among all the nations. We see that in verse 2. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So, God desires to be known among all nations. God's purpose is to be praised. He desires to be known. His purpose is to be praised. Verse 3, let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. God's purpose is to be enjoyed. Verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. We sing for joy as we enjoy God. God's purpose is to be feared. We see that in the last part of verse 7. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him with a godly, righteous, and holy fear. So if you believe, as I do, that the inspired psalmist is praying in accordance with the will of God, then God's purpose in missions, and God's purpose in all of creation, is primarily that He be known, that He be praised, that He be enjoyed, that He be feared amongst all the nations. Because He is the highest and greatest treasure to embrace in all the universe. This is the reason why the church exists. This is the reason why the world exists. This is the reason why you and I exist. To glorify God who is the greatest and highest treasure that can ever be experienced or had. In his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, John Piper opens with these words. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. An excellent statement. So worshiping God is the greatest means by which we fulfill our purpose to glorify God. Therefore, the goal, the purpose of missions is to summons the nations to cast away their idols and to worship the one true and living God that they would be pleased to find ultimate satisfaction in our ultimate treasure, namely Jesus Christ. So the goal is not simply stating the gospel. The goal is not simply telling of Jesus. The goal is calling the nations, summoning the nations to repent of their sin and believe the gospel. This is a command from Jesus Christ to every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. He commands us to repent and believe the gospel. So the task of missions is not simply to speak the name of Christ, but to summon the nations to repent and believe the person and work of Jesus Christ, and all that He has accomplished on behalf of His elect. So if God's purpose is to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared, if this is the purpose of God, what does God God desire to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared for? We also see this in this text. In other words, what of God, what about God, elicits such a response from us? Why should we enjoy God? Why should we praise God? Why should we spend our time to know God or to fear God? We have four answers of this in this text. First, we see that God is the one and only true and living God. 
Verse 3, again, let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. He means by this, let all the peoples, all the nations know that there is one true and living God. And may it be that they stop serving idols and serve Him instead. Let all the peoples praise you. Not their idols, not their work, not their money, not their possessions. Let all the peoples praise you. Why? You are the one true and living God. You are worthy of all worship. It's illustrated well in Psalm 96 and verse 5. For all the gods of the peoples are what? Worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. There is one true and living God. And He is the one God who is worthy of worship. If this were not true, If there was more than one way to God, but through Jesus Christ, then missions would be arrogant and presumptuous and self-serving. If there was a multitude of ways to God through Buddha and Muhammad and whatever else, then missions would be arrogant and presumptuous and self-serving. But this is true. God is the one true and living God. And He calls us to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, God is to be known as God. He is to be displayed as He is in the Scriptures. Thus, missions is a humble response from a people, from God's people, from His church, who love and have compassion on those who are lost in the nations. Why? Because as we talked about last week, we have been rescued from the wrath of God. And there are those throughout the world who are perishing day by day, condemned in their sin. They are already condemned, the Scriptures say. Perishing under the wrath of God for eternal torment and separation from Him. And so missions, because of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf, is a humble response from us to call, to summons the nations to repent and believe in the one true and living God. Secondly, God is a God of justice. We see that in verse 4. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. So all that God does is right, is just. So when the judgment of the nations comes, God will not be partial. One is either in Christ or they are not. They either have the new covenant promise of redemption in Christ Jesus or they are held to the old covenant to uphold perfectly the law of God. One or the other. And God will judge with equity. And He will not be partial. And He will be rightly praised for it. Not one will see the judgment of God in the final day and cry out that it is not fair. He will be praised. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so it matters not one's skin color, their sex, their ethnicity, their IQ. None of this will be considered. There will be no bribes. There will be no plea bargaining. The standard of judgment has always been the same and will be God's measure on the last day. Have you perfectly fulfilled the law of God? No. Has Christ done it on your behalf? That is the measure. And so God is a God of justice. And this is the measure by which His justice is done. Thirdly, God is a God of sovereign power. We saw this in the second part of verse 4. You guide the nations upon the earth. God rules the world. He is sovereign over the hearts of men. 
He is sovereign in the guidance of the nations. He is sovereign over kings and princes and presidents and Congress and possible government shutdowns, mayors and city councils. He is sovereign over all of these things. And many nations, we were speaking about this at dinner last night, Many nations boast of their power and their greatness and have great pride in all that they are. What happens to every one of them? They come to great ruin. Look at the Roman Empire, the Assyrian Empire. Think of these great nations, the Egyptians. All the power that they held. All that they were to the rest of the world, they came to great ruin. Let us not think we are great and mighty and powerful as a nation. God has determined for the nations their allotted time, their boundaries. He holds the hearts of kings in His hand. He guides them wherever He wills. God is sovereign over the destiny of every nation. So God is a God of sovereign power. Fourthly, God is a gracious God. We see that in verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. God is abundant in grace and is to be known and delighted in as such. This is a foundational attribute in our salvation. Spurgeon said, The best saints and the worst sinners may unite in this petition. May God be gracious to us. He is full of grace. He is worthy to be praised. What a great promise. What a great truth. What a great reality. That God is a gracious God. And so God desires to be known amongst the nations for who He truly is. The one true and living God, the just God, the sovereign God, and the gracious God. These are all attributes of God that are to be proclaimed to the nations. So how does this happen? How do we accomplish this task as the church, the bride of Christ, to make the nations glad in Christ. This is a call to fulfill the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations. And it's important for us to understand the enormity of this task by defining this word nations. What do we mean with this word nations? We're not talking about political nation states. So don't think America, Canada, South America, Africa. Don't even think countries in there. Nigeria, Uganda, Ethiopia. Don't think nation states. Think more in terms of the Cherokee Nation or the Navajo Nation or the Fulani Nation. We're talking about specific ethno-linguistic identity. So, we're looking at language and culture. These are the things that define specific people groups. And so, as we look at language and culture, we're not thinking India, but we're thinking some 1,000 plus people groups in India. It makes the task quite a bit larger, doesn't it? This is exactly what's meant in the Scriptures. And so by this definition, there are approximately 16,500 nations throughout the world. People groups throughout the world. 16,500 people groups. And of these, there are currently 6,800 unreached people groups. To be exact, according to the Joshua Project, 6,872 known unreached people groups. In terms of population, that is 41% of the world that has never heard the gospel. 
2.8 billion living individuals right now on the face of the earth have no idea whatsoever about Jesus Christ. And 61 of those people groups are in the United States of America. I'd encourage you to go on the internet and look at joshuaproject.net. Very valuable resource in missions. Very helpful to show us how to pray and where these people groups are and the efforts being made to reach them. Shows whether or not they have Bible translation. Shows you pictures of what the people look like and how they dress and what language they speak. You can hear on there a tremendous resource for world evangelization. I encourage you to look at that. Joshuaproject.net. There's a link on our website. But 41% of the world is without the gospel. So what? So what, what are we... What is our calling in that? What is our purpose in that? Why does that matter to us? Well, as Christians, when it comes to missions, we have two options. As our mission statement says, we can send or we can be sent. Those are our two options. There are goers and there are senders. There are no other options. So what does this look like? First, the goers. Some are called to give their life to planning churches in different ethno-linguistic cultures. Now, no, this morning we're talking about uh, primarily foreign uh, and what we call frontier missions, reaching the unreached peoples of the world. So you've heard me often refer to missions and us doing missions right in our backyard and our neighbors and co-workers, and that is true and right. But we also have a global task, and specifically what I'm speaking on this morning. So, some are called to give their lives to plant churches in different ethno-linguistic cultures, to plant their roots in a new place with the express purpose of seeing God's elect come to Christ, planting a church to eventually send and be sent for the spread of the gospel from that church. And so, it's a reciprocal effort. Go into the unreached people group, Proclaim the gospel, summons the people to repent and believe, and as they do, establish the work of the church, build the church as Christ does that work, and send out from there to send and be sent for the spread of the gospel once again. It continues in this pattern. Now, goers, those who go in mission, go in light of or with the promise of Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 tells us this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Don't be so much of a Calvinist that you can't proclaim this truth and this reality. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. What a great reality. How does that happen? How does one get to this place where we're calling on the name of the Lord? Verse 17 says, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. So what's the answer? We call upon the name of the Lord, and we will be saved. Salvation comes by faith alone, and faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So what's the answer? How does all of that transpire? How does one call on the name of the Lord by hearing the truth of God's Word being proclaimed. The answer, verses 14 and 15 of Romans chapter 10. But how are they to call on Him in whom they have not believed? Paul's asking the same question. How are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so some will give their lives to this. In order for the name of the Lord to be called on, in order for them to be justified by faith, by the hearing, by the preaching of the Word of God, there must be those who are sent. 
to accomplish this great task. And some will give their lives to this. Oh, how I am praying it will be some of you. It will be some of us. That we will have the great joy, the great privilege to send out from our midst to see Christ proclaim. I pray for goers in our midst. For those specifically who will go into frontier missions to the unreached peoples and to give their lives even unto death as martyrs for the sake of seeing the nations glad in Christ Jesus. How great that would be. Now some of us will give ourselves to short-term missions. I believe this is a good and right thing for the church to be engaged in. Specifically, that means using our spiritual gifts and our tangible skills to join other missions efforts that are already ongoing and assisting their work to advance the cause of Christ amongst the nations. Lord willing, in this church, you will have that opportunity at least once a year to be engaged in that in Nigeria as of right now. We'll go in September. We're partnering with an ongoing mission to reach the Fulani people, the Muslim people who are unreached by the gospel, who this group has, given, has been given unprecedented access to. Amazing the opportunity we have to bring the gospel to a Muslim people, and they receive us with gladness. And so... From that, we've seen 15 churches planted in bush camps. And in that, we can partner and bring along our gifts and our skills to help advance the work in a hospital, in their schools, in an orphanage, in giving pastoral training, in doing evangelism and outreach. Just recently, they started a microfinance program to start businesses, to do engineering, to bring water to a community. All of these things are great works and are Christians partnering in mission work so that through these means, the gospel would be proclaimed. To come and establish and serve a people so that in that, great opportunity would arise to say all of this is done in the name of Jesus Christ. And we come to proclaim the one true and living God who is just and righteous and holy and worthy to be praised. And we summon you to believe on Him. Now, I'll give you a warning with this in short-term missions. Many, many people who engage in these sorts of things cannot get enough. And they often give their lives over to it. You will talk with many missionaries on the field who never thought they would do missions as they are now. But they went one or two times somewhere to serve. And the Lord did something great in their lives and they gave their lives to it. So just be warned. If you go with me to Nigeria, that may very well be what the Lord does in your life. So these are goers, but just as important as goers are senders. Now, there's two errors in this. The first is that everyone automatically assumes that they're a sender. We don't pray about perhaps God wants to work in us to go and do missions, to give our lives to the advance of the gospel in the mission field. So we automatically assume we're senders. This is an error because we're simply not praying about this and not even considering it. The second error is that we assume that missionaries are some sort of super Christian. That what they do is more significant than what we do. And so if you are a plumber or a carpenter or a banker or a president of your company or whatever else, that you are less of a Christian than those who are giving their lives on the mission field. This is simply not so. Because God has His people spread throughout in various areas and places doing certain things in order to bring about His great cause. And without you in those places, we're not able to send people to go. So do not take up either of these errors. Do not automatically assume you're a sender. So we're praying this week for goers. But also, do not assume that you are insignificant in the kingdom because of where you are. 
Apostle Paul calls us to be content with our circumstances. Why? Because great things can come about from what we are doing. But if you are a sender, and if you are a sender and faithful and generous in this task, I'm not after you. I want to encourage you to keep it up. Praise God for that. I'm after the neutral Those who are disobedient in this. Those who never give a single thought to the nations. Now, if you're not going, if this is not the task you're doing, you are to send. So here's what that looks like. I'm going to give you three things. First is prayer. Of most vital importance is that you give your heart to prayer for the nations, and for those who are serving the nations. I encourage you to use the Scriptures to do this. So we're not just simply praying, Lord, bless the missionaries. Be specific. Lord, help the Vaughn family in France to drink the deep river of Your delight. Use the Scriptures to pray for these people that we pray for, for their work that the Lord would be pleased to bless them in their efforts, that they would see conversions in their midst, and that God would be glorified. So first, if you are not going, you are sending, and you are doing so in prayer. Secondly, you are sending in utilizing your goods and your finances. And so we are to give to the work of missions. You will have an opportunity to do that this week. We're going to explain one way. We've done that already. I'm going to share with you at the end of the service this morning. But as with all things, as with all the work of the church, we don't simply have goods and finances to utilize on ourselves. These are for the work of the church and for the global advance of the gospel. And so we need to be diligent to be good stewards of what God has given us for the work of the gospel in the nations. We have a lot of work to do in this area. Thirdly, if we are senders, we must have a global awareness. We must know what God is doing in the nations. We must know of the lost people groups of the world And in doing so, we know how specifically to pray. Let me give you two examples. One I brought up a few weeks ago. Now, I said this, and I only sold one of these books, and I hope to uh, have to order a hundred more because everyone wants one of these on their shelves. I pray that every single family in this church will have this book on their shelf and they will use it every single day. It's called Operation World. And what this book does is gives you every day how to pray for specific nations. All the people groups that we know of are outlined in this book. So we know how many of them are evangelical Christians. We know how many of them um, have a a church or missionaries in their midst. And he gives specific uh, prayer requests. Specific things to pray for for each of the nations. Use it in family Worship. Use this as you pray together, as you pray for the nations. This is important. It is a tremendous work. And I pray each of us has it on our shelf and uses it daily. Secondly, I should never, I pray, never have to throw these away at the end of the month because they weren't taken up. We don't receive enough to go to every family in the church, and yet some are still left over. Donnie handed them out, I think, this morning. Pray for our work. We partner with other churches in association so that we can pray for those who go. We can know of their needs. We can give to those things. We must be in prayer for those who have gone. This tells us how to do that every day of the week. So please utilize those. Those are given to us for that reason. Also, I encourage all of you to keep up with Voice of the Martyrs. They have a free publication. They'll send you every month to know of the persecuted Christians throughout the world. Know what they're going through. Read their stories. Pray for them. And sometimes the Voice of the Martyrs tells us how we can minister to them. Different things we can do in writing letters and whatnot to encourage 
those saints who are being persecuted for the faith. And one I've already mentioned, I encourage you to look at joshuaproject.net and to see the work being done there. There are many, many opportunities to have a global awareness of kingdom work throughout the world. We cannot be lax in this. We have an important task as senders, if we are senders, to do this. So when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, we sign up for significance beyond job promotions, beyond our entertainment, beyond our stuff. Because embracing Jesus is embracing the nations. Our hearts were made for it. And our hearts will be lacking the fullness of our joy. We will be lacking without a focus on the nations. If we're not going or sending, if we're not intimately engaged in one of those two things, we lack because we are not fully embracing the entirety of God's purpose in all the world. So if we're seeking to glorify God without doing anything for the sake of the nations, you will have in your heart a sickness. You will blame on everything else. But if your heart is not aligned with the heart and the work of God, your soul will be restless and anxious and sick. There are entire people groups, 41% of the world, who do not know that God made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. They're clueless. They have no capacity to call upon the name of the Lord because they have not yet heard the gospel. Listen, you cannot worship God with authenticity and not care about that. Ambivalence about the souls of the nations is a massive heart problem because the glory of God and the internal state of individuals made in God's image are at stake. We have to care about it. Missions is the hardest and most happy work in the world. Missions is God's means to bring about what we will see in the end. Now we'll close with Revelation chapter 7. This is the fulfillment of the missionary task of the church. This is what God is bringing about through His church as we go and as we send. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every... What's that word? Nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What a glorious reality that we are to long for. What a glorious calling we have to see this accomplished. God is calling us, above all else, to be the kind of people whose theme and whose passion is the glory of God in all of life. No one will be able to rise to the magnificence of the cause of missions who does not feel the magnificence of Christ. There will be no big world vision without a big God who is gathering His elect from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation to worship Him. The one true living God who is just, who is sovereign, who is gracious. There will be no passion to summons others to worship when there is no passion in us to worship.
So I pray that God would be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. That we would delight to make His ways known on the earth. His saving power among all the nations. Let all the peoples praise Him. Let all the peoples praise Him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, that is our prayer. That all the peoples would praise You. We thank You, God, that You have given us a glimpse of Your glory and our salvation, being gracious to us and making Your face to shine upon us. And in blessing us, Father, that You in turn orient our hearts And our task to see the glory of the gospel displayed in the nations, that Christ would be exalted, that you would be glorified, that you would rightly be worshipped. I pray, God, for all of us. I pray that you would stir our affections and give us greater hearts for the nations. And I pray, God, that you're preparing us to be challenged with that this evening. Pray, Lord, that you would, from our midst, raise up goers that we could send. That you would raise up those who would love more than anything else to give their lives to the global task of the gospel being advanced to the unreached people groups of the world. We pray that you give us compassion for the 41% of our world who know not Christ. We pray, God, that you help us to be creative in our resources and in our goods and in the ways that we can support the global cause. I pray that you give us all a deep conviction about our need to give of what we have, of our time and our resources to meet these great ends. I pray, God, that you would be hallowed in all the nations, that you would be pleased to come quickly, the great commission would be fulfilled, and that we, with all of your saints, would see that great day when we gather at the throne with every tongue, tribe, people, and nation to sing, Holy, Holy, Holy. You, O Lord, are holy. And we worship you and thank you and praise you for your word and for our opportunity to worship and gather and to consider your great work in the nations for your glory and for the joy of those who are your elect. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.